and we are so honored and privileged to be able to be present at your feast. And we pray that everything would be consumed today, that not a crumb would drop for the dogs to get. We pray for ears to hear every word the Spirit of the living God is speaking today. May they take root in soft, prepared hearts and bear much fruit for your glory and for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. My heart's like full. Thank you, Lord. Okay. So, the Lord's having us talk about togetherness, also known in scripture as, or referred to as oneness, referred to as unity. I don't know why I keep using the word togetherness, I'm just liking it right now <laughs> so um, last week we we kind of built a foundation uh, one that I said we need to really be in one accord regarding um, because it's upon this foundation that I feel like the Lord wants to help us understand togetherness or spiritual unity oneness in Christ um, it's not a topic to be studied in sort of a vacuum as a just a spiritual truth or a Bible study the, the togetherness that the Lord is showing us is to be experienced and as I shared last week I, I, I know I desperately want it desperately need it have experienced it from time to time with many of you in this room and it's it's not an overstatement to say it's life it's what this life is how it's meant to be experienced So, so to kind of recap, the foundation is the, the foundation of sanctification. The process that every one of us who are authentically born again are to engage from the moment we are bought to the moment that we die or Christ returns. And 
the Lord reminded me this morning that to grasp the sanctification process, he's given us these wonderful tools as types and shadows in the Old Testament story to illustrate it for us. And so he just reminded me this morning that the whole Passover Exodus story is just beautiful for communicating what sanctification is. And if, if we think about that story, everyone in the congregation, the children of God, were commanded to mark their homes by the blood of an unblemished lamb. And on that night, they would be saved from an imminent death. And the very next morning, they were to begin a journey and that journey was to lead them out of and further and further and further away from Egypt on a journey towards a destiny and a destination in that case, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey and every other good thing that God has for his own. And the, and the, and the journey was difficult. The journey was ongoing. Progress was made as long as obedience was happening. Stalling happened when they took their eyes off the Lord. Uh, temptation to go back was ever present and often literally expressed. And so much of that story, although it was reality and true and historical and real, was given to point us to the spiritual reality of the gospel invitation and ultimately what that invitation is for. And so the story lines up perfectly in the spirit. This is the natural, this is the spirit. We are justified by a single act marked by the blood of the true unblemished lamb. That's why Jesus died on Passover. And just like that feast was to be eaten in haste, the reason why is because the very moment that that happens, the journey begins. And what happens the moment after the night of Passover in the first story? Pillar of smoke and fire shows up. Why? Because the Lord's beginning to lead. Lead where? On a journey. A journey where? Out of Egypt, ever further away from Egypt, and towards a destiny or a destination. And so from the moment we are justified by the blood of the true unblemished lamb, we are invited into that same journey of constantly and ongoingly seeing Egypt removed from our lives and moving towards a destiny a promised destiny full of all God's goodness for all of those he calls his own. That destiny in the spirit is our glorification, the age to come. And as Tabernacles 2020 taught us the focus the Holy Spirit gave us this year for tabernacles was that is a week to practice that perfection 
and that the specific application of that prescription was to be reminded we don't get to take Egypt with us. In the age to come, there is no Egypt. What does Egypt always represent? Sin, bondage, oppression, idolatry, counterfeits, every other thing that we, we were before we were born again. None of it gets to come with us. It was like literally the Spirit was telling me, if we're not doing it on the new earth, then why are we doing it now? Or if we are doing it in the age to come, then why aren't we doing it now? Right? Because new creation has begun. How do we know that? Because the atom of new creation is born. The firstborn from amongst the dead. Right? That he might have preeminence and superiority. Colossians 2-ish, 2 or 3. Right, so if new creation has begun, we are already justified by the blood, then we find ourselves in this sanctification process. Right, this is, the, this is what Paul was describing when he said, for by one sacrifice, he has perfected forever, boom, mic drop Jesus, those who are being made holy. This is the perfected forever. This is the being made holy. Realized in its entirety in our glorified bodies on a brand new heaven and, and a new earth. And in that destiny, we have perfect, undivided hearts, face-to-face, -face, love relationship with the Father and with each other. And the sanctification process is preparing us for that. It's practicing that. It's engaging in that now. And the Lord was reminding me this morning that that is, that is not the learning and the practicing of religious hoops that we're jumping through, right? This isn't religious rituals or, or self-righteous, pharisaical nonsense right jesus never said in the gospels you can check your bibles but he never said repent for christianity is at hand what did he say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand this is a new world it's a new creation it's a new life it's a new government it's a new set of laws it's a new everything only it's not new it's old it's the ancient path it's the ancient ways it's the eternal ways Right, so holiness is not slightly better morality. Listen to me. Holiness is not slightly increased or improved morality. It is not behavior modification. It is not denominational obedience or pharisaical obedience. Holiness is being conformed by the Holy Spirit 
into the image of the Holy One of Israel. And that only happens when we align with the word. Which is why Jesus prays in John 17, 17, the single prayer he makes regarding our sanctification. And he says what? Sanctify them by your word. Right? So this is why we stick with what's written. This is, this is how the word orders our sanctification. Right? It's when we gather and study and the word of God says, this is no longer for you, we stop doing that. I know that's super complex and you got to have like a Bible degree to, to really pick up what I'm saying. Right? When the Bible says something is no longer for you, we stop doing it. That's sanctification. When the Bible says, start doing this, we start doing it. And that's sanctification. And in doing that, and every time we do that, and, and while, while we engage the ongoing process to do that, we are conformed into the image of the one who did it perfectly. Hallelujah. By the power of the Spirit and the ordering of the Word. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we start practicing it now. And if we're not doing it in the age to come, we're not to do it here. And if we are doing it in the new earth, we are to start doing it here. That's sanctification. Are we in one accord regarding that process? If we are in one accord regarding that process as individuals, are we in one accord regarding that process as a congregation? Here's why I ask, because uh, another truth that the Word of God makes very clear is that engaging the process of sanctification is meant to be done in community. Now, why do you think that is? What's being built? The kingdom, right? More specifically here, a house. What kind of house? A spiritual house. Built, built on what? The foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Using what? Living stones. Under what? Christ as the capstone. Why? Because Father is looking for a house in which he can dwell by his spirit. This is all Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, so this is meant to be done in community, right? We got to learn how to do this in community. And this is the togetherness that, that the Lord is trying to show us. Within the foundation of this journey of sanctification, this ongoing discipleship journey that we are on, the Bible says we're supposed to do this together and that there is a togetherness when we decide to do it together, that is supernatural, beautiful, available. I wrote down a couple reasons why we might want to do this together. Um, one thought that came to mind is because of what Jesus prays for in John 17. What's he pray for there? 
the, like his parting shot, his parting shot of, of intercession. He says, what, Father, unify them. Why? Because when the body of Christ is unified, the non-believers will see that this is all real. Right? That's literally what Jesus prays. Unify them so that the world will know. Unify them so that the world will see. Like when the church is not unified, what do you think the unbelieving world thinks? What a bunch of nonsense. That's what I think. Right? But the opposite is also true. When the world sees a truly unified bride of Christ for one another, doing life together, truly loving each other as Jesus loved us, that's miraculous. There's nothing more miraculous. Otherwise, I believe Jesus would have prayed for it. It's also a reminder to me that doing hard things with other people is way better than doing it alone. Anyone else have that experience? Who in here has done a Murph by themselves? What? I haven't. I don't think I could. A Murph is a very long, hard workout. And the, and, the, and the only reason a Murph is ever doable is because I can look to my right and to my left and see someone else suffering with me. And I don't know why that's the truth, but doing hard stuff together, doing hard stuff with someone else that's in it with me, doing hard stuff that's committed, that's with someone committed to the same thing, I can do that. Right? Yeah. It just reminds me like of all the times in scripture when when God took an army and he thinned it out. Right? He said if you're if you're not fully committed, don't come. If you have fear in your heart, don't come. Yeah. Right? Because there's something that can be accomplished by I don't care if it's a tiny group, a tiny group that's committed to doing something hard together. That's a powerful force. That's a move of God. I'll take 10,000. I'll reduce it to 300. Right? I'll take 400 prophets and I'll wipe them out with one. Wow. Every time. Amen. There's something about it. So we're meant to do this in community. To do what? Experience sanctification together. That's what we're meant to do in community. And yet, something that the Lord reminded me of last week that is just absolute truth, and, and I know I'm just going to kind of ask you to take my word for it. In my 17 years of ministry experience, I have also seen that it is the very process of sanctification that brings about the most division. And it's in particular, um, as we talked about last week, it's in particular regarding a very key moment within the sanctification process. 
and I'm just gonna remind us of that moment because it's super, 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 super important. The process within, or I'm sorry, the, the, a key moment within the sanctification process that how we walk through it, how we engage it as individuals, how we walk through it congregationally, and how I lead through it, I have seen how at this key moment, doing things biblically provides an opportunity for incredible unity and togetherness to be built. Doing things unbiblically provides an incredible opportunity for absolute destruction and specifically division. Okay, so is this a big moment? Is this an important moment? Yes, it's hugely important. And what moment is it? It is... When we study the Word of God, and by His Spirit, a incongruency is revealed. Meaning, something in my life, I'm just going to speak from an individual standpoint, something in my life is incongruent with God's Word. When that is revealed by the Word and by His Spirit, I have a decision to make. Okay? And that decision, listen to me, guys. That decision, there's only two outcomes. When by the word and by the spirit, an incongruency is highlighted in my life, there's only two things that can happen. I'm either going to submit and be changed or sanctified, or I'm going to sin. And we have no permission to think in any way that there's a third option there. There is no third option. I'm talking about a hugely important moment within the sanctification process that every one of us are in one accord is the journey. It's not part of the journey. It's not a little side thing. This is the journey to be conformed into the image of Christ, to pursue holiness, right? To walk in God's way so that the whole world will see that he is real. As we, as we walk that out, there will come times, and I would say, saints, there must come times, not once, but over and over and over and over and over again, where we are going to have by the Spirit a revelation that our lives are out of alignment somewhere. An area where the Bible has said this is no longer for you and you're still doing it. Or the Bible says this needs to be done and you have not yet started. Those are incongruencies. Everyone know what that word means? It means my life and God's word do not match up. It means he has commanded something that I am not obeying. If the Bible is being taught and the spirit of God is inside of you, that is going to happen over and over and over and over and over. Does everyone agree with me? Yes. Okay. When that happens, saints, there's one of two responses. You are either going to submit and be sanctified or you're going to sin. Period. There is no third option. 
Okay? So when that moment happens, there are three players involved. There's the individual that is having that experience. That person needs to walk through it biblically. There is the congregation that that person is a part of. The congregation needs to walk through that biblically. And there is a shepherd. The shepherd needs to lead through that biblically. And in my experience, and based on the last two weeks that I've been studying, all three of those have got to be walked out correctly. And if so, that critical moment, that absolutely critical moment can be a wonderful togetherness building moment. Or it can be an absolutely destructive dividing moment based on whether or not we will stick with what's written. It's a big deal. Yeah. So that's, that's something that I actually struggle with at this moment. Because uh. I get the intimate decision where I come to that crossroad as an individual. The struggle I'm fighting with is the togetherness piece because that requires two individuals, be it husband, wife, father, daughter, yep. father, son, father, friends, I mean, bro uh, brothers and sisters. Exactly right. Is not always aligned in the timing in which that happens. Let me, let me, um, Put an explanation point on that point. Because, because what the Lord is teaching me is that walking through this moment is incredibly important in each of our individual sanctification process. The process of continuing down this narrow road together. Right? So we're talking about the visual the Lord gave me is the, that I shared last week is a, is a long, narrow hallway. Right, and it is a it is a hallway stretching forward, away from Egypt and towards the Promised Land. To continue to use the metaphor. And and what the Bible teaches is that that narrow that hallway is narrow and gets narrower and narrower and narrower as we proceed. And so the sanctification process. This is literally the visual the Lord gave me is is me walking down that hallway, and I'm carrying all my old self. Right, And that is with a full understanding that, that those of us who are, are born again, authentically born again, we're a brand new creation. I believe that with my whole heart. Right? I also know that even though I'm a brand new creation, even though the Spirit of God resides in, inside of me, and even though my destiny is glorification, I'm still lugging around my old man. I'm still doing it. After many years, I'm still lugging around my old man. What's my old man? My favorite sins, my secret sins, my, my, my most committed idols, right? All my strongholds, my deceptions, I'm carrying around all of it, the stuff that I have not yet pruned. And so I'm walking down this narrow hallway and it will just come a time eventually if I am an authentic and legitimate son of God it will come a time when God will say to me, you can't take another step. You can't step another step away from Egypt and towards me until you let go of that thing. 
And why does he do that? Because he loves me that much. Because he's preparing me and training me for the age to come. And specifically to rule and reign in the age to come. And he's trying to show the world what he is like. Right? And everything that I'm carrying around that I love so dearly is terrible for me. Right? So I'm walking down and, 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 and if the spirit is alive in me, and I have said yes to the sanctification process, and I am submitted to aligning with the word when an incongruency is revealed, I got to start dropping stuff. That's the moment we're talking about. And to the extent that I refuse to drop something because my idol is that important to me or my sin is that powerful over me, what the Lord is showing me is not only is my walk stopped at that point, my forward progress towards what God is calling me to become, but that literally breaks or comes against our togetherness. And, and today I want to show two places where that happens, to, to Michael's point. The first one is reminded, was reminded of by our conversation last weekend, and it's Achan's sin in Joshua 7. You guys remember what happened there? They just wiped out Jericho, right? And, and as a part of their very specific instruction, when they were to take the promised land, there were things that could be taken as spoils, and there were things that were to be devoted, right? And Achan, one man of the entire army of God, decided to take a couple of the devoted things for himself. You guys remember this story? Go and read exactly how the Lord described what Achan did. Because you know what he says? He never once says Achan. You know what he says? Israel. Israel took this. Israel hid this. And Israel better make this right or my hand is going to be against you. Right? That was one man's sin affecting the entire army. Yeah. And what happened the next time they went out to battle? They got a good old-fashioned whooping, and men died. Okay, and in that, saints, that was not the body of Christ. Listen to me. That was not the body of Christ. I would speculate that the body of Christ is more united than that group was. That the body of Christ is more one than that group was. And if one man's sin in that setting could affect the whole, how much more so in the body of Christ that says we are all one? How much more so in a household? Right? If a, do you guys know that a wife's sin affects her husband? It has to. Why? Why? Because we're one. It has to affect me. How about a father's son to his kids? Not just his kids, but his kids to what? A third and fourth generation. God is very clear about that. Okay, so guess what, guys? There is no secret sin. Not one. There is no sin that I get to just keep for myself that affects only me. It all affects all of us. Seriously. Does this create an even larger opportunity than what we even really see? Absolutely. I know it does. 
I know it does. I know that what God wants to do in and with a congregation is dependent on us being aware of these things. I don't get to have my secret sin and not have it affect Jenna. It's getting exposed right now. That's not possible. I don't get to have my secret sin and not have it affect Jackson's son's son. So what do we do? I see an impossible task in front of me. What do we do? Because it gets even more awkward. Right? Because, because sanctification will absolutely happen on an individual basis. If the Spirit of God is inside of you and you are in the Word of God, you will have moments of conviction. It might take place in your shower. It might take place in the desert. It might take place on your drive to work. When that conviction comes, saints, this is the moment. The moment when the Spirit of God is saying there's an incongruency in your life. God's commandment says this and you're doing this. It's time to change. It's time to drop that thing so you can take a step forward. It's time to be further confirmed into the image and the likeness of the Holy One of Israel. And your choice in that moment not only will have a huge impact on your own life, but it will literally impact this entire congregation. And guess what? Most of us will never even know about it. It's still going to affect us. Right? But, but, but there's also going to be times when the, when the revelation comes congregationally. Right? If, if I'm teaching God's word... And, and this, by the way, is a big if. Because the, the scenario that I'm about to illustrate is a huge reason why much of the Word of God is not taught. And I'm talking about the parts of the Word that talk about sanctification. The parts of the Word that talk about holiness and repentance. The parts of the, of, of the Word that command us of God's expectations and requirements and statutes and judgments and ordinances, the parts of the word that warn us against apostasy and mixing, the parts of the, of the word that, that, that call us to holiness. These parts, saints, are most of the time ignored. Why? Because because when that is taught, when the Word of God is taught congregationally, and I mean a very specific, clear commandment of God is taught congregationally, and you have some obedience and some disobedience, that's a problem. Listen to me, guys. This is literally the hardest thing I've ever dealt with in ministry. This, for me, is personally the hardest thing that I'm dealing with. And I don't even mind admitting there have been times when if, if I ever have a thought about stepping out, it's because 
of this situation and the desire to say, I'm just going to lead my family because I'm in control of that, so to speak. But when the, but when the clear word of God comes forth and a clear commandment is given and something is, is shown to either need to be removed or need to be added and we have some obedience and some not, that literally brings about visible division. Right? It's not hidden. It's fully exposed. How do we walk through it? It's very difficult. And I was corrected sternly, by the way, on Tabernacles. I was listening to a song um, one night, and in the, the um, I think it's called... Um, I can't remember, but it's, it's, she's basically singing Psalm 91 and, um, and she sings about, um, the Lord being my refuge and my fortress. And, and it's, and it's easy for me to, um, to beat on the don't quit drum. It's real easy for me to beat that drum. Don't quit. Just don't quit. Just don't quit. And part of that beating is because I see so much quitting. The minute it gets hard, the minute there's a challenge, the minute the word of God comes against what I want, there's just often quitting. The, 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 the moment that we are talking about, the moment when that incongruency is brought up, the moment when that conviction comes, the moment when the command is obvious and I got to submit to it, but I just don't want to, lots of quitting happens. And I can beat that drum, don't quit. And I, and I was thinking uh, on Tabernacles, I was listening to that song, and I was like, you know, the only one that can even sing that song, the only one that can read Psalm 91 and say that applies to me, the only one that, that really can even claim the Father as a refuge and as a fortress is someone who's suffering, right? Someone who's broken and hurting and struggling and ready to frickin' quit, And the Lord corrected me in that moment. He's like, how dare you even think about quitting because this is a challenge to you. Cling to me right now. Lean on me right now. Run to me right now in this difficult thing that you're dealing with. I will be your refuge. I will be your fortress. And you can trust me. So I'm not quitting. And I'm going to walk through the challenge that teaching and leading and actually sticking with what's written creates because it creates problems. It creates struggles. It creates decisions. And some people, sometimes people are going to make the wrong decision. And sometimes they're going to make it over and over and over and over again. My question is, what am I going to do about it? My question is, what are we going to do about it? And my question to every one of us as an individual is, how do we walk through this? Everyone tracking with me? Today I'm just going to share quickly 
what I feel like the Lord has given me for my pieces. And I'm, I'm doing this quickly because, because ultimately this is for me. And um, my fulfillment of what God has called me to, my obedience to, to what God has asked me to do. And I share it for two reasons. One, because I want witnesses. I want witnesses and I want accountability. I want you to know what you can expect. I want you to know what you should expect. I want every one of you to hold me accountable to the commitments that I'm making. More importantly, it's my restating of my commitment to the Lord for as long as he puts me in this post. I'm committed to these things for his glory, for his namesake. And I share these things even as a testimony unto him because none of this is my choice. None of this would be my choice. None of this would be done by me if it were up to me, for me, by me. None of it. It has to be him. It has to be his spirit. So I'll say these, I'll share these, and I'll kindly ask for your accountability to hold me to them. Can I have that commitment from you guys? I know we're not reading a lot of scripture today, but hopefully you all recognize that everything we've said have been, has been scripture. Everything I'm about to share is scripture. Um, my, first com- um, my first commitment is that I'm going to honor and obey God. As, as the first and really only priority. And, and that specifically is to... Um, is to communicate that I will not put anything above these things. I will not put any relationship in this room. I will not put any friendship. I will not put a paycheck. I will not put a reputation. I will literally put nothing above honoring and obeying God. And I will do that first and foremost with my own life. And and the only reason I do that is because God has shown me for a long time to just fall in line with every other leader he's ever risen up for any purpose. What have every one of them done? The ones that truly honored God, the ones that truly saw his will done in the land, the one that truly pleased the God of the Bible, all they ever did was obey at any cost. They obeyed with Removal of idols. They obeyed with violence and killing. They obeyed with realigning with his commandments and biblical worship. They aligned with doing some very unusual things. But their heart was always singular. The, the, the leaders 
that God used, the kings that God used, the priests that God used, even the commanders and warriors that God used, they, they shared a trait, and that was they did not care what anyone else was doing. They only obeyed God. And I am absolutely incapable of doing that. Absolutely incapable. I can only ask and continue to ask and pray to be led by the Spirit of God. And for me personally to walk out the very process that I'm preaching on ongoingly until the day that I die. And every time my life shows an incongruency with the Word of God and the Spirit of God either directly or through one of you guys points out that incongruency, my choice will be to obey. And I, and I will continue to pray for the perseverance and endurance and faith and trust to do that. And as it relates to this church, It's the same thing. That the way in which I fulfill my role as shepherd of this congregation is to obey and honor God first, above everything else. Above any relationship in this room, above any paycheck, above any reputation, above any ambition of my own, any pride, any ego, any desire to build anything. But God's house, by God's hand, powered by God's spirit to accomplish God's purposes. And the one thing that I feel like the Lord gave me this morning for that is as it relates to, to, to this revelation is that the, the togetherness that we will build this church upon will be a spirit, spiritual unity, not a unity based on carnality. And I, and I use that word specifically because I see a much togetherness in the church is actually based on carnality. And the fastest way to build togetherness in a church is based on carnality. It's the truth. The more I can meet the needs of the flesh, the more people will get excited. The more people will come. The more people will tell their friends. The more lights and smoke we can produce, the more comfortable I can make it, the better coffee we have to serve, the better kids programs we offer, the easier we can make it, the more convenient we can make it, all of those things, you can literally build unity around it. And when the, and when the spirit is really divorced from the church, you can build unity around sin. 
Ask any AA group, what, are the, what is an AA group gathering around? Their shared sin. Happens all the time. You don't think that happens in the body of Christ? We get around and gather around our shared sin? Shared brokenness? Happens all the time. We're going to use a whiteboard, and you're lucky I'm not using an overhead projector. (laughs) That's a silly example, but the point is, I'm not going to lead this church in any way to satisfy my flesh or yours. And we are not going to gather around fleshy things, justify brokenness, justify sin, justify rebellion, justify disobedience, make each other feel better by saying, yep, we all do it. Not going to do it. And I know for a fact that that will lead to a small congregation, and I could care less. Why? Because all I care about is God being honored and God being obeyed. And if there's only five families that will do that, then we'll do it with five families. Uh, I remember when, uh, when we all went to where the Lord spoke to you about starting. I, I remember that journey. And, uh, and you said uh, you had told the Lord, another church? Yeah. <laughs> and you said, no, this was born by the Holy Spirit. That's right. Alan, yes, your name, Olay and, and everything uh, has changed since then. Everything. Oh, yes. Absolutely everything. Yeah, but it's grown since every, everybody grows differently. So yep. meanwhile, we, what's the first thing love is? Love is patience. Exactly right. And so we had a young so-so. Which is an excellent transition to my next point. Oh, okay, praise God. Amen. Okay, because this is, this, this, this is number one, and, and number two is, Exactly to Naomi's point, this is, this is why I'm just going through this quickly today for us. I want you to know what the, how the Lord is leading me. I want you to know how the Lord is correcting me and aligning me and, and convicting me as it relates to my role, right? If, if this isn't happening in my life, then it cannot and will not happen in this church. Yeah. I recognize that. I recognize that the secret sin in my own life is probably the most damaging to this entire congregation. I recognize that. Okay. This is hugely important to me. So as God has positioned me, it is not a teacher. It's a shepherd. Like I'm really, really clear about that over about the last year or so. Is there a teaching element to that? Absolutely. But it is not a teaching post that God has given me. Bless you. It's a shepherding post. And so, and so I've been praying about shepherding and studying shepherding, and, and I've been convicted about shepherding a lot over the last two weeks. And um, I don't need to share everything. I'm just going to share with you um, kind of where the rubber hits the road. And, and that is um, the single thing, the single thing that the Lord has, 
has convicted me of that all of these um, secondary pieces are the application of is that I won't widen the path. Um, I won't widen the path. I literally think this is the um, number one sin being walked out by leadership in the body of Christ. Um, because this is not priority number one, um, widening the path is the easiest way to gain togetherness. Yeah. Oh, perfect, absolutely perfect example. Okay, so, so, so to the extent that I cannot and will not widen the path, you need to recognize that that is because my role is shepherd. Yeah. Right? If my role was just teacher, widening the path would be more tempting. Yeah. Right? Because there are, there are nuances in the text. There is gray area in the text. There are different interpretations within the text. We can talk about timing and, and conviction and all kinds of justifications for disobedience right or i can just flat out ignore the parts that are real black and white ignore the parts that put people to a decision ignore the parts that that really bring exposure to do you really believe this is all real or not but if i recognize my role as shepherd then I need to recognize that any time and every time a sheep is being consumed by a wolf, I got to lay aside that sheep's feelings. I got to lay aside any belief that, that I got to spare that, that sheep's comfort or not offend that sheep or not comfort them while they're being consumed. I got to get them the hell away from the freaking wolf. That's a shepherd's role. And I see sin. Listen to me, guys. Sin is the wolf. Sin destroys marriages. Sin destroys hope. Sin destroys relationships within family and with kids. It's all meant to destroy. It's all meant to kill. It's all meant to rob. And when I saw Jesus dealing with sin, it was ruthless. And yet his gentleness towards the sinner was always real. His mercy towards the sinner was always real. His patience for the sinner was real, but his patience for sin was non-existent. Never, ever, ever, ever once when Jesus caught someone in sin did he ever allow them to justify the sin. Ever. There was no mercy for the sin. It's war with the sin, but grace for the sinner. Yes. Thank you. Right? This is very difficult to walk out. This is why this whole moment has to be handled right by the individual, by the congregation, and by the shepherd. Everyone's got to see it for what it is. 
Everyone's got to understand what's going on. When Jesus met with a, was met with someone sinning, he never had a counseling session with them, guys. He never got, he never sat down and let them explain why all of this stuff that happened to them is, re, is the reason why they're okay in their sin. Not once. What was his line every time? Go and sin no more. Period. Go and sin no more. Not go to another meeting. Not let's sit down and, and, and blame who's really at fault for this. Not a psych session. Go and sin no more. That's a shepherd, guys. Jesus was the good shepherd. If I'm going to shepherd a congregation well, I've got to do it just like he did it. That's what the Lord is showing me. If I'm going to shepherd a congregation well, I got to do it like Jesus did. And he allowed for absolutely no justification for sin. I can't widen the path. I can't make it easier. I can't stop teaching the Bible. I can't disobey things that God has told us to do or told us not to do to make it easier on you. I can't do it. Yep, it's hard. Yep, it's demanding. Yep, Jesus said you better count the cost. And guess what? When you're at this moment... And when the, the sin or the idol or the tradition or the compromise is, is come front and center and you fall, guess what? If you're willing to repent and get up again, I'll be there with you. And if you fall and repent and get up again, I'll be there with you. And if you fall and repent, and get up again, I'll be there with you. But if you quit, I won't chase you. And if you quit, I won't make it easier for you. And if you quit, I won't listen to your justification. And I don't care who's left at the end. because of point number three. And that is everything we do has an eternal agenda. Everything. It's never about today. It's never about this moment. It's never about this gathering. It's always about the age to come. He thwarts the plans of the people. He brings the plans of the nations to nothing only the plans of God stand, the dictates of his heart from generation to generation. It's all about eternity. So everything we do is about eternity, everything. And that starts with what? Making sure you're saved. And I will absolutely cause you to question your salvation every day if I have to. Not Christ's part. Not what's been accomplished on the cross. 
I will, I will absolutely cause you to question, are you authentically born again every day if I have to? Why? Because eternity's at stake. And I'm not going to fear offending anybody when eternity is at stake. So I hope that every time we come together, I hope there is conviction that I'm either absolutely born again or holy cow, I better really check myself. I do not fear bringing that up in, that, in this group. And in fact, I'll bring it up right now. If you have not had a moment when an inconsistency in your life, inconsistent with the word of God, has not brought you to a moment of conviction and a choice to change, you're not born again. A hundred percent. You're going through the motions. You're showing a form of godliness but denying its power. You are just showing up for sermons and services, but the Spirit of God is not inside of you. The only way you can know that the Spirit of God is inside of you is when he convicts, period. And if you haven't experienced that conviction, you are not born again. And why is that so important? Because the Spirit of God knows that in the end, we will all stand before the white throne of judgment. So his role is to prepare you for that moment. Did you hear me? The Holy Spirit's role is to prepare you to stand before the Father. And you and I and everyone else that has ever lived will do so, and we will give an account for every word that's come out of our mouth. We're being prepared for that every time the Spirit convicts us. And why is that important? Because there are rewards offered to every one of us who overcome to the end. What kind of rewards? Eternal ones. I listed them because I thought maybe we could use a reminder. Every one of us, these are listed between Revelation chapter two and three to every letter of the church. They all start with the same thing. To he who overcomes to the end, I will grant. Guess what moments he is speaking about overcoming through over and over and over and over and over and over again. The moment we're talking about. The moment when we're called to submit and obey. The moment when we're called to be sanctified by the truth. Right? To that person who overcomes in that moment and never quits and never stops and never stalls out and never turns back and never asks for easier and never looks for the path of least resistance and never looks for the wide path. To him who overcomes to the end, he grants these things, the right to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. They shall not be hurt by the second death. I will give them a white stone with a new name written on it. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good. I will give him power over the nations. I will clothe him in white garments. His name will not be blotted out of the book of life. He will be a pillar 
in the temple of God, in the paradise of God, and I will grant him to sit on my throne with me, just as I overcame and sat on my throne with my father. That's what's at stake. That's why I don't care how small we get. That's why just like Jesus, I can't chase anybody. I can't make it easier. I can't care about your feelings. I can't care about offending you. I can't stop teaching the word. I can't stop proclaiming the full counsel of God because God is preparing saints and kings, priests and kings to do what? Sit on his throne and do what? Rule and reign. That's what we're being prepared for. And for every one of you, I will sacrifice your feelings. I will sacrifice your comfort. I will sacrifice making this hour easy. Listen to me. For when we meet up in the age to come and you're looking over 10 cities. Because that's what's promised. Luke chapter 19. 10 cities. I shudder to think what the experience will be for all of those pastors that just squandered the truth and broadened the path and watered it down when they see those people in heaven, if they make it to heaven. And they ask, why didn't you just teach us the truth? If this is all real, if every word of this text is real, what a terrible moment that will be. not going to have it. We're going to celebrate victory. We're going to celebrate greatness. We're going to celebrate 10 cities. And we will sacrifice our comfort in this age. We will sacrifice our agenda in this age. We will sacrifice all of our idols all of our sins, all of our secrets, all of our old man, can't carry him over. Guys, remember Moses and Joshua standing at the river. Make a choice right now. That's, that's the river to the age to come, right? He says, stay on this side and worship your old gods or come with me and worship the Lord. My job as I see it, as best as I understand it right now, with the understanding the Lord has given me, and by the example I see in Christ is I'm a shepherd. Leading a flock, and that specifically includes protecting the flock. And because my job is to protect, I will show no mercy for the sin in your life. I'm declaring war on the idols in all of our lives. And I pray for that Jehu ruthlessness 
I pray for the Phineas ruthlessness. I pray for the Elijah ruthlessness regarding the sin in each of our lives. And I pray for the Jesus tenderness and the Jesus patience. The Jesus mercy on all of us sinners. And all I ask and all I pray and all I'll ask for you guys to pray is that my part in this moment that each of us will continue to have that my part that I walk it out right. That I walk it out in a way that accomplishes God's will. Brings him honor, brings him glory. And I thank you for your prayer for that. Amen. Love you guys. From here.